At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. This is Make It Plain. M.I.P. With Masamela Matsumo. Mark Thompson. Make It Plain. Get woke. Ladies and gentlemen, God bless you. Welcome to another edition of Make It Plain. And this is Thursday. You know what that means. It's time for Thursday Coast with the founder of Daily Coast, the largest online progressive community, the founder of Civics with a Q, and also the host of The Brief, the weekly podcast that is growing with popularity every day. It is the most popular podcast in the universe. Mark, <laughs> listen, I wish. Marcos Melissas joins us now. Hey, buddy, how are you? I- I'm doing great. You look like you're presiding from the Supreme Court. <laughs> Dude, don't. I have on, even have on the black. Um, I do. I, that's some fancy digs. Where are you at? I am, for those of you viewing, I am in the Mike Mansfield room of the United States Senate. I'm literally just about 100 feet from the entrance to the Senate floor. But don't worry, I'm not going to do like the insurrectionists did. We had a nonviolent demonstration on the Senate steps yesterday, many arrests. Uh, I have been here all day as a guest in the gallery, along with other clergy, to watch the floor debate around voting rights. And then... um, um, to, so you'll hear this Thursday, today is Wednesday, we're, as we talk about this. And um, by the time you hear this, the vote will probably have been taken. Prospects don't look good. Just had a, and, and you'll hear also um, in this broadcast, folks, a uh, press conference that the Congressional Black Caucus had briefly, and I got a chance to ask a question or two. But um, Marcos, um, a lot of great speeches. Like um, Tim Scott? No, no, no. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm saying from Democrat. Okay. okay. Democrat, Democrats have been strong. Um, a lot of great words, but they're paralyzed. Um, had an off-the-record conversation with Ed Markey just out here in the hallway. And, you know, he's just scratching his head, you know, mansion and cinema. It is a, it's it's a mess. And it's with this close, this close. And the two of them just won't budge. So, um, folks, I, I don't hold a lot of hope that by the time you hear this Thursday morning that we're going to have these bills passed because the two of them won't move from the filibuster position that they have. But it is an historic day because we're hearing defenses of democracy and voting rights that are fundamental to this American experiment, as they call it. And this coming in the very week of um, Dr. King's birthday. Um, I'm sure you saw Marcos. She tweeted out um, a, a remembrance of Dr. King 
and his talking about Kirsten Cinema. Cinema, Cinema. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Cinema. Um, and in the words of Ravel Warnock, um, you know, you can't remember him on the one hand and dismember his legacy on the other hand. Yep. You can't do that. And so uh, I'm in this Mansfield room. For those of you who can see, George Washington's uh, portrait is um, um, behind me. Um, and I sat in front of this portrait purposely because um, our experience as African-Americans goes back that far. George Washington held enslaved people. And so today, part of getting out from up under America's original sin of slavery is fighting for our democratic rights to vote. We weren't real citizens. Marcos, as you and I have said, this Senate is constructed around the principle of slavery. You have states that have disproportionate representation to other states. Like you live in California. Y'all only got yeah. two senators. Yeah. But other states have equal Senate representation that you have because the thing was, wait a minute, we're going to count three-fifths of the number of slaves we have so we can have an equal state. So, you know, that is a tyranny of the minority. Then you have the physical minority with the filibuster using that. And then you have another minority of two Democrats. So it's like a triple minority. You didn't even have a triple minority in South Africa. It was one party. It was just white folks oppressing black people, minority party. We took it out. But here you've got it's layered. You've got the construction of the, the, both houses of Congress itself. Then you've got the two party system where one party in this case, Republican can can do what it does. And then a, on top of that, within the Democratic Party, two other people <laughs> who are doing that. So the minority, at last I'll say, I think Chris Van Hollen said it best yesterday. Um, because of the way it was set up, the minority is already represented. And he talked about how some states have a fourth of the population of other states. So the, fourth, so you're, you're talking, you're talking, uh, North Dakota with 600,000 people, which is less than the population of San Francisco. Or, um, in fact, I think I saw a statistic that said that something, there's like 18 cities with more population than that of Wyoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the minority is represented because they still get the same number of people you and I get. Yeah, they get you and, you and I in two biggest states, California and New York. But yeah. they don't have, they're not locked out. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, 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 um, you know, that's, that's why we're here, man. And it's, it's, I don't know. I asked to, um, you know, some of the house members and you all will hear that after Marcos and I finished talking, um, whether they've had any other legislative remedies up their sleeve. And they said they do, they didn't want to disclose them. So we'll just have to see what happens, but it's already 2022 Marcos, yeah. Marcos, Marcos, think about this. The clock is ticking already on some of these uh, voter suppression laws in the 19 states where they have been resurrected. And so there's a clock on this. If this legislation doesn't really get through, it'll be too, in a timely fashion, it'll be too late to stop some of that which is going on in the other states. Oh, oh, this this year is a wash. Like we're we're kind of screwed more MIP after this message. The the only thing that that gives me a little bit of hope is that when there are voter restrictions, generally that cycle, there is a backlash with voters that are being restricted. Right, People don't like to be told they can't vote. Um, 
And we even saw that in Georgia in the runoff election uh, just now where Raphael Warnock and uh, John Ossoff won. People do not like to be restricted. And it's a problem is the second election. Once it becomes ingrained, once you get that initial burst of adrenaline and that fades, then that uh, those those restrictions really, really take root. Right. So the only chance we have right now, other than some last minute conversion by by mansion that nobody's really expecting, of course, is that we win two seats and that two seats in the Senate this November and we rendered mansion in cinema irrelevant right that's and then once that happens we can get dc statehood i mean the whole you know it things start doesn't fully balance out right we can't balance out nebraska north dakota south dakota wyoming idaho um, all these small two you know uh single member states but you can start a little bit you know dc gets us a little bit of the way there Puerto Rico, if, if, you know, with a referendum, you want people to have their own self-determination, but with a referendum, Puerto Rico may end up being another state, right? So those things now become possibilities. This legislation becomes, you know, a possibility, not just the one we have today, because this is the one that was written by Joe Manchin. This is Joe Manchin's bill that he himself is refusing to allow a vote on. Just the irony of the situation. And even though it was written by Joe Manchin, it's not terrible. But it's not the best piece of legislation we can have. We win those two net seats next year, this year, then we don't need to use Joe Manchin's bill anymore. We can actually write the idealized version of uh, a voter protection bill. So there is, that's the game. That's the game. And of course, we're, we've talked about it historically. The party in the White House loses seats in the, in the midterm elections and congressional elections. Um, we have some headwinds. But... Things aren't as horrible as they were in 2010 when when, you know, Democrats got absolutely wiped out. And big part of the reason is that Donald Trump is Bigfoot in his way in doing his best to keep the Democratic base engaged, giving us candidates like Herschel Walker that are going to be much easier to to beat than might otherwise be the case. If if uh, you had Mitch McConnell in charge, Mitch McConnell, he knows what he's doing. <laughs> You know, it's, it kind of almost offends me how little Mitch McConnell is appreciated by the Republican base. Like, he is the game. They have the Supreme Court because of Mitch McConnell, not Donald Trump, not Ron DeSantis, because of Mitch McConnell. And they hate him for whatever reason. Um, he's been their most effective, loyal, and just downright evil foot soldier in the Republican conservative movement. So I don't understand why they don't appreciate him. But luckily, there is this, uh, there's Trump. And then now you have this Trump-DeSantis feud that's starting to flare up. And you're going to see more and more people willing to stand up to Donald Trump. So you're going to be a little bit of a fracturing of that party. And, and my, my, my dream, Mark, is that, that Trump takes down DeSantis this year. Mm-hmm as a way to take out the sales of a 2024 presidential bid. Cause he's decided that DeSantis has screwed him. He's not loyal, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, there's an easy way to knock him out of the game and it's just to help him, you know, get him to lose this year's gubernatorial race. And if that happens, maybe he takes on Marco Rubio as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then we have, we, we, um, Florida's Florida, right? I mean, it's not a, it's not a state where one party wins decisively. Yeah. It doesn't take yeah. much. Right, right, right. 
No, we uh, got to get our people out. There's a lot of things, right? I mean, that need to happen. Joe Biden's numbers do need to, to creep back up, but um, it's not all lost. And that's the game. November's the game. You you talked to Joe Trippy on the brief this week, and and he gave you some optimism too, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. His his whole his he had a five prong argument, and and I don't know if I'll remember them all right off the top of my head. But one of them is Trump's big footing. I mean, Trump instead of making twenty twenty two a referendum on Joe Biden, it's becoming another twenty twenties. It's becoming another battle of Trump versus Biden. That gives us a chance. Number two. We got more votes than they did in 2020, 9 million more votes than, than Republicans did. We know who those people are. We have their information. We know where they live. We know how they voted. And so we have the ability to go back and build upon what was done in 2020. doesn't mean that they'll want to come out, right? But at least we can message these people and work on them. So we have, we have that kind of infrastructure built. Republicans didn't. They did not gain seats via redistricting. Now, there's still some states left. New York's not done. Florida's not done. There's a right, right. court case in the, the Ohio Supreme Court just surprised everybody by throwing out the Republican gerrymander in Ohio. There's a lot of unknowns yet. But by all indications, we are probably ahead between four and ten seats in 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 redistricting. Now, what Republicans did is they, they already had a gerrymandered map because they did it in 2010. So what they did is they, they there wasn't a lot of news room to pick up, particularly since uh, in this last you know census, we talked about it, I don't know, half a year ago, rural areas have really emptied out. There is a mm -hmm. dramatic decline in the white rural vote. So it sort of eliminated a lot of their ability to gerrymander aggressively. So what they did is they shored up their incumbents. So there's a lot fewer pickup opportunities for Democrats. But there are about, right now, I think right now the official number is about four or five more Biden, uh, more districts that Biden won than Trump won than in the, in the prior years. And New York hasn't done their redistricting. We're expected to pick up a good, like, four to six seats in New York with an aggressive gerrymander yeah. there. Good. So, and in Ohio, you know, that, that might be an extra three or four from what Republicans had drawn. So there, there is a, doesn't mean we're going to win the house. It just means that they didn't win the house without a single vote cast, which was mm -hmm. worst case scenario. So you got that, you have the quality of the, of the, of the um, Republican candidates, not just the Herschel Walker, but everywhere there's primaries, it's the QAnon style Republicans that are winning. And not only are they going to be more beatable because they're QAnon style, <laughs> you know, they may win in Marjorie Taylor Greene's blood red district. That's a different story if you're talking about, you know, Pennsylvania at large. And they're going to give us so much material to work with. Mark, you remember back in, in what was it, 2000? was it 2002 when we had like Sharon Engel in, in, uh, in Nevada, who was, who made an argument that. That's not the way you said her name though. You, you Sharon. Were... <laughs> she had like six R's. Yeah. You had a classic pronunciation. <laughs> I was wondering, man, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you know, these were the tea party crowd. They weren't even as, they weren't even as far out as the Q people. Right. And, you know, they would argue things like people don't need health, government health care because 
they can trade chickens for healthcare. I mean, that was literally an argument that Sharon Engel made. There was that one in, in Maryland, I forgot her name, but she's the one that ran the ad saying, I'm not a witch. And, and so, and then you had, what's the guy in, in Missouri who, who talked about um, the rape comment, right? Where there were some, some, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what was that? It was. It was. It was. So was bad. that the one where, where he said women have a way of shutting down? Yeah, yeah. There is that. Yes, <laughs> they have shutting that down. Tariqin, uh, Tariqin. Um, yeah, yeah. More MIP after this message. These candidates, we ended up limiting our losses, if not winning a couple of seats, by highlighting, like, just how far out there the Republican yeah. Party had become. This year it's gonna be like it's gonna be so far beyond that, right? We're gonna be talking like Jewish space lasers, you know, type of crazy from the Republican Party. Right. You saw right. that was Lauren Bobert, right? Who's yeah. talking yeah, no, about I, Jewish I, space yeah, yeah. lasers. Yeah. And I, I look like that because I'm still trying to figure out what a Jewish space laser specifically <laughs> is. <laughs> so um it's going, it's, it's going to give us an opportunity. People may be upset at Joe Biden because we didn't get voting rights passed and, and uh, he does need to, to forgive student debt. But I think a lot of that is people are going to realize, oh my God, this is what the alternative is. And that's, it's terrifying. And our democracy is literally on the line. I mean, this is, this yeah. is not a debate over tax cuts for millionaires or even do we maintain a war in the Middle East, right? This is, do we have a democracy? Because Republicans and Donald Trump have made very clear that their goal is to take over the machinery of elections. Anybody that has a say in the election is a target because he doesn't he they're not going to he's not pretending to win a majority of the vote. He didn't do it the first time. He certainly didn't do it the second time. He, I don't think he's even cares. Right. He right. in fact, he just uttered the same words that I just Joseph Stalin said, like what matters isn't who counts, who casts the vote. What matters is who counts the votes. Right. I mean, he's literally, literally uh, echoing one of the history's worst murderous dictators. And um, that's what's at stake this November. And the thing is that the, the difference between a filibuster proof Senate majority and this is our last chance because the map gets really bad the next two cycles. Like, if we don't get it now, we're, we're, we're effed. The difference between, you know, gaining two seats, at least net two seats this year, and losing the Senate is not even, it's so dramatically different. I mean, it's, it's night and day. So um, it has to happen. Like, we don't have a choice. We have to win. Otherwise, it's going to get really dark and it's going to get really bleak. And our ability to move the country forward is going to, you know, it's going to take a step back. It's going to make 2024 harder to hold on to the White House. We really won't have a chance to take over the Senate until 2026 at the earliest, probably 2028 more realistically. I don't want that, Mark. We can't. No. We can't. No, and and as, and as we've talked as nauseum, I mean, everything you say, the good news is good news, but we can't. It's not like the weather. People aren't that good at predicting that nowadays either. We can't predict 
necessarily yet what morale will be this November or even in these primaries. Now, hopefully it's great. But I mean, we're at a very dangerous place because people are watching what's happening even in the Senate today and they just don't understand. And, and I think that's, again, goes to, I'm not talking about the, the messaging problem that the Beltway media projects on Democrats. I'm talking about our own organic indigenous message, messaging issue because we gave it to people very simply last year in January and November of 2020 going to do this and we got a majority but remember it was just like you brought up you put max barkas back on my brain i'll put that i'll blame you on that i wasn't trying to think about max barkas <laughs> but but uh, or sharon angle for that matter you brought up a lot of people today but it's cool um the you know we remember remember how obama comes in and we has a super majority and it didn't take long for people to grasp no not really that's not <laughs> really what we have this is a little bit, it was a little bit more in the abstract. And, and people bought into 50-50 plus Kamala Harris makes it to plus one. And I don't yeah. think anybody anticipated what, uh, you know, even if people wondered about Manchin, nobody thought cinema would be the way she was because she rode in on her horse as a progressive. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think those are the little things that discourage and confuse and make people say yeah. to people like you and me, I'm already hearing it. But what difference does it make? They're going to, so uh, Ellie, Ellie Mistel, folks, I share with the audience. I, I don't know if, I, I forgot to send you, Marcus. I don't know if you saw it, but he did a great thread about, you know, Democrats having sort of a history of doing this. And then there's always some moderate to conservative Democrat that plays the role of scapegoat. He was reminding us how Joe Lieberman did the little man, the dance the mansion is doing at one time. And Marcus yeah. did. So, you know, that's what we've got to, we've got to overcome and and I think I've said this to you before too. Um, the, the only advice I can offer, the only morale boost I can offer, is to remind people. And Clyburn said it at the press conference today too. Um, none of this stuff really does happen overnight. Even uh, the end of slavery didn't happen overnight. Many people died uh, and never saw freedom, but they kept fighting because they knew the next generation would pick it up. The most modern example, though, now this weekend, these folks about to tear up D.C. around Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. And folks, we might want to learn a lesson from that. It's been fifth, almost it's been 49 years. And but they never gave up. They never said, well, we put you in office and you didn't change it by the next midterm. So we quit. Mm -hmm. You know, they're dedicated and vigilant. Frederick Douglass said price freedom is eternal vigilance. And so think about it. What they started 50 years ago, 49 years ago might actually happen because they never gave up. Yeah. And so I don't know, folks, that we can really live with. I know everybody's upset and angry and frustrated. I get it. But I think we have to ask ourselves, look, if we do this, if we give up and give it all back to Trump, 10 years from now, we're going to look back and say, well, well, maybe we shouldn't have given up either. Maybe stuff doesn't happen in a year or two. Um, I mean, we're still dealing with the consequences of 2010, where everybody stayed home because they were pissed off at Obama for, for not delivering everything he promised. No, he was dealing with Lieberman and Bacchus and Conrad Burns and Bill and Ben Nelsons. So, sure. Okay, now you're doing it again. I was, you didn't have to name all those names. I had put, but, I hadn't thought about them people. Bill Nelson, oh my God. But, I mean, <laughs> if you want to be complained, we, we probably had enough votes to get rid of the filibuster then, but since we had 60, yeah. and eh, it doesn't matter. So, um, it's been frustrating that 
and to be actually fair, a lot of liberal interest groups actually fought to keep the filibuster in place because they just assumed we'd be in the minority the whole time. And that was the way to, to make sure that the Senate didn't pass more regressive legislation back when people pretended that America was a center right nation. Remember that America's a center right yeah. nation. Like nobody says yeah. that anymore. Like that, that ship sailed. Nobody's pretending, not even Republicans. Now nobody's pretending that stuff no more, but a lot of people had bought into that, into that notion. And so a lot of liberal groups, uh, they were perfectly happy to have the filibuster um, just to make sure that the Senate wouldn't pass anti-abortion legislation or you know, anti environment legislation. And so they also, as we as a movement, also shot ourselves in the feet. I mean, I was I was a radical, Mark, back in 2002 when I was advocating getting rid of the filibuster. Like I would go places and people yeah. would yell at me. Yeah. Like, did yeah. I know how irresponsible that was? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I take solace in the fact that at least not everybody agrees with me because <laughs> it was lonely, Mark, in those early days. It was lonely. I was and, like, what am I missing? This this filibuster thing is crazy. Nobody believes it even exists. There's no accountability for the party in power because uh, um, because a minority can just obstruct and then say, look, there are do-nothing Senate. Well, of course you're a do-nothing Senate because all you got to do is say, nope, and then it becomes a do-nothing Senate as long as you're in a, you know any kind of minority, any realistic, I mean, Nobody's getting more than 60 votes in this day and age. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, and then you know what? Freaking McConnell get rid of the filibuster as soon as it's expedient. And, That's right. That's right. And, uh, and then people be like, oh, the norms. Heavens, the norms. <laughs> They'll all get the vapors. It's the norms. Right, right. And and cinema thinking that we have to protect it. Or they're gonna you know get rid of it when they come. They're gonna do it anyway. They're gonna do it anyway. And I don't cinema. Twenty twenty four can't get here soon enough. No, anything else you know we may be in the majority. We might be in the minority. I don't care. Twenty twenty four is the year we get rid breaking, of cinema. Breaking news though. I'm up here. You know, you walk these halls. You hear and you talk to people. So little birds up here telling me that he's not going to announce it yet because it's too early. But but Ruben Gallego oh, yeah, is going to yeah. take her down. I mean, he can't announce now because he's got to he's got to win his reelection, right? It would it would be yeah. poor form yeah. to announce for something. Right, right. So he's not going to do that. But but uh, and Ruben, more, it's, it's like a sweepstakes to see how many people <laughs> are going yeah. to you're going to like. <laughs> no, nah, Ruben's going to clear the field. I mean, maybe some other people. Ruben was going to run. I um for Senate last year and he stepped aside for Mark Kelly for the good of the of the of the party. Like he was a team consummate team player. I was actually uh he asked me what he should do and I was like, run. And but no, he steps aside for the good of the party. So it's it's like I think he's earned the right to step up and challenge. And um right. I think he's gonna raise more money than anybody and there ain't enough packs in the world there ain't enough corporatists in the world for cinema to keep up right 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 let me uh give credit where credit is due ruben folks was a holdout for a little while but ruben has now himself even uh signed on to hr 40 um uh which is a whole nother issue as i've said we're at 215 votes so that doesn't count the speaker so really with two votes down, but Ruben is one of those votes and that says a lot about him.
Uh, and we, I just want to say that publicly, we appreciate that. We had to edu do some education. He was like, oh yeah, I can do this. So that's a good thing. Well, folks, um, as I said, um, by the time you hear this, I will have already left here, I guess, unless, you know, I sit in and go to jail some more. Um, but uh, as always, we thank you, Marcos. Folks, stay tuned. Uh, Marcos not going to leave, but gonna it, we're going to leave you with um, some of the um, uh, sounds from the Congressional Black Caucus here in the Senate. Uh, they walked over to the Senate side, held a press conference. You'll hear from uh, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty uh, and also Congresswoman uh, Sheila Jackson Lee. I posed a question or two, so you'll you'll hear that uh, when Marcos and I leave. Marcos, thank you as always, buddy. Thank you so much. Have a great, safe weekend. Catch you next sure. week. All right, you too. But maybe the question is more importantly to ask those 16 people who voted for it in recent times and are still here serving this nation. What happened? What happened? 16 Republicans on the record for voting for it. So maybe the question is, what is their plan? Let's talk to them when they come out and ask them who's controlling them and why they are not voting. So we will work with the White House, but more importantly, we have the American people on our side. We have civil rights leaders. We have majority and minority folks. You see, this isn't just a black issue. This is an American issue. Remember, white students sat down at those counties. Remember, white women have marched for us for some of our fundamental rights, whether that was health care or voting rights. So we're real clear on our strategy. Okay? There are, there are two senators standing in the way of changing Senator Rule, Senator Manchin, and Senator Sanders. No, there's 52. 52. 52 standing in the way. 52. I think today we support voting rights. Right. Today, we want to make sure that 52 senators are asked that question. Today is not about primary races. Today, we came here to singly focus on voting rights and to only talk about voting rights. And that's what we're asking you to do, It's 52. What do you say to activists and organizers and students who've been on hunger strikes and who engage in protests and continue to fight for voting rights? What do you say to young people who may be discouraged? We say thank you, first of yes, all. Thank you. thank you for standing up because this is also their future. Yesterday, we had the opportunity, many of us, the speaker, Terry Sewell, to listen to the leader of one of the largest activist groups. And he came and stood with the King family. He stood with us, and he thanked us. So I think it's a partnership. We win when we come together. Remember, it was a younger John Lewis and an older Mark. And they came together as they crossed that bridge. So we would like to say to them, thank you. Keep fighting. Keep being out there, and we're with you. We, we say to them um, that they can be tired. We're tired. They can be frustrated. We're frustrated. But they cannot give up. Think of this nation, what this nation would be if John Lewis had given up when he was bludgeoned on that bridge. Instead, he humbled back to Brown Chapel AME Church and organized a march two days later. 
This country has changed because of people's courage. And it bends towards justice, but it doesn't bend by itself. Yeah, yeah. Activists, activists help it bend. Are, are there any other creative legislative remedies that can be tried in the House even after today? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And certainly, yeah. uh, we have talked in full disclosure about that. There are parts of the bill uh, that's very important to us individually and collectively, whether that's preclearance, whether that is having the redistricting, whether that is the boxes for some of our seniors and others, drop-off boxes, and the list goes on. So let me just say, we will come back again. T today is just our first step. We will come back with a clear plan that we bring back. Final question, question for Mr. Clyburn. Ms. Clyburn, you're close to President Biden, obviously. You have his ear. The President gave a speech the other day on, on voting rights down in Atlanta. What more do you want to see from the President of the United States in pushing this across the nation? Well, the President, if you recall, followed up that speech coming up here uh -huh. and meeting uh, with the Senate caucus, the Democratic caucus of the Senate. And he came out and met with the press. He made it very clear that he supported a workaround or a standing or changing the rules on the filibuster. And I want to see him keep pressing. He's going to meet immediately today. Let me remind you that when the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was first written, they did not get it through the Congress. They couldn't get it. Dirksen, J. Everett Dirksen, one of my favorite of all times, finally worked with Lyndon Johnson, another one of my favorites of all times. And they took voting out in order to get it passed. They took housing out. They made it apply order to the private sector. We didn't get voting until a year later. We get housed, got houses three years later. Three years later. And in 1972, it applied to the public sector. So I want everybody to know, we want this Senate to act today yes. in a favorable way. But if they don't, we ain't giving up. Right. And I'm too young to give out. <laughs> Thank you, Press. Thank you so very much. Here with uh, Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee. What do you, how do you feel about what's taking place or not taking place in the Senate today? Tyranny of the majority is not in action today. Uh, the tyranny of the minority is dumbing down the victory that the majority should have. So my view is that we have a fight to promote democracy. And democracy stands on the shoulders of the Constitution and the right for every American to vote. The question is, will the Senate have the courage, Republicans and Democrats, to be able to, in essence, stand for democracy over personal whims and the insignificance of the filibuster? It is insignificant. And it certainly doesn't counter the blood that has been shed by all of the foot soldiers, Dr. King, John, but many other unnamed persons who have laid their life down 
for the right to vote. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Make It Plain. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.